Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. Hey, I got a good friend Cameron right here this morning. He's um he's a, a pastor uh, from Michigan. He's planted about what is it, 70 churches, probably some hundreds thousands maybe. He's planted a bunch of churches. He's, he's, he's directly planted at least seven. He's had a hand in planting many, many, many more. I said seven. Yeah. He's directly planted seven out of his church. He's had a hand in many, many, many more. He's been a network leader uh, in uh, Partners in Harvest and now uh, Harvest International. Um, uh, he also is instrumental in what's happening in Mexico. Uh, he teaches in their leadership school with Josh every year. He goes to their Harvest School and teaches there. Uh, he's pastoring pastors. Uh, more importantly, he's a good friend. Um, we had a, sky, a spy camera go by his house, and we actually, this is why he's really here. That's what his house looked like this morning. He's just off of Lake Michigan. <laughs> at least that's how it would look like to us, us Floridians. Uh, I picked him up at the airport, and I was freezing, and he's like, hey, mi amigo, it's so nice down here. I'm like, this is freezing, but he just came from Michigan, and uh, this is t-shirt weather for them. Uh, I picked him up this morning in my car, and, uh, you know, I hadn't been in the car that long, so I turned it up to 83, right, because it was freezing this morning. And he gets into the car, he's like, do I get a control over here? And he turned it down to 63, from 83. I'm like, oh, we're, we're living in different climates, aren't we? Uh, and so, uh, but, but uh, Cameron's a good friend of, of mine. He's an elder uh, in my life. He's a, a pastor, pastors, like I said. Um, and uh, we've been talking uh, eating good food, which is what all Christians like to do. It's what we do well. We eat. Amen. We get around and we eat. And uh, he has a, just a phenomenal word. He's going to kick off our, uh, our, our Good Neighbor message series. So wonderful to have him here this morning. If you would stand and just honor Cameron Wright this morning. And we just say, we have our ears open to hear not a word, but the word for our house this morning. Amen. Thank you so much. How many like Carl's sweater? I think he needs a dress like that from now on, eh? Hallelujah. Listen, there was a 19-year-old college student, 19-year-old college student, and um, he, was, he was back from school for the summer and um, uh, looking for a job, and his father and all of his uncles all worked in the factory, and he had vowed his, his whole life he was not going to be a factory rat. But he needed a job, and they were hiring, so he went in, and they offered him a job, and they were paying five times the amount that he'd ever earned anywhere else. And so, you know what, it was just the summer, so he took the job, he got hired in, and uh, made friends with another guy that he hired in with, same time, uh, they just met in the group that guy hired in, yet that one guy got put in the same department, and so they became buddies, and they were working third shift, and so at the end of the shift, when you're done working in a factory, you'd go out and get a beer or two or three. So 7 o'clock in the morning, I'd go out drinking. And after a few weeks, a month or so, uh, his buddy stopped showing up. And uh, so he'd just go back to the hotel room he was staying at and uh, went on with life. Well, that 19-year-old young man was me almost 40 years ago. And uh, that friend, his name was Lenny. And the reason Lenny stopped showing up in the morning to go drinking with me is because he had met this other guy. And one, one, one night at work, 
Lenny was there. I was like, oh, Lenny, where you been, man? And he says, well, I, wanna, I want you to meet somebody. And he introduced me to another guy. His name was Jaime. He was a Mexican-American. And Jaime was very quick to uh, enter into conversation. He was asking questions about me, and he was very engaging, and, um, and he really was skillful at directing the conversation to spiritual things. And I, and I grew up in a Christian, a nominal Christian home. That meant we went to church most, you know, occasionally, once or twice a month maybe. <laughs> and I went to a Christian school uh, from kindergarten through eighth grade. So I actually knew Bible verses. But by this time in my life, I had rejected all of that. I was a typical American uh, teenager into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get them necessarily in that order yeah. <laughs> as much as I wanted. But that was my life. All right? And I was more into just getting high and, and talking about Eastern uh, mysticism because that was cool. And, and this, this guy named Jaime, he wasn't talking the religious questions. I knew how to answer religious questions well, because I knew that. I knew religion, but I didn't know Jesus. And he was talking about Jesus, and, and I didn't know how to answer the questions. And, and then he asked me this one question, and now I know it's like a tr it's, it is the evangelism question, but then I didn't know. He asked me this question. He looked right in my eyes. He says, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And I was like, that was cool. College student. So I'd, I'd go to heaven. But in my heart, I was like, dude, you are halfway into hell already. <laughs> really? Because uh, for that, for especially the past year, I was realizing how, how lost I was, how desperate I was. There were actually times in, while I was at school in, in the university at night, I would go out by myself in the middle of a field and say, God, if you're real, prove it. If you're real, prove it. Then I end up in this factory job with this Mexican guy talking to me about Jesus. And, and then he was shocked because I said I was going to heaven in my heart. I, was, I knew I was halfway to hell already. And then he said, well, why? Well, why do you think you can go to heaven? And I said, because I'm honest with my God. And I was like, dude, you are lying. <laughs> I was lying. I was lying about being truthful. <laughs> Even I couldn't believe it, you know, but I was put on on the front. And, and, and Jaime was not phased by it. He said, oh, well, you should have someone pray for you. I was like, hey, I grew up a Christian. When someone prayed for you, they just, they went away and did it somewhere else. I never saw anybody pray, okay? So I'm like, Jaime, if you want to pray for me, that's cool. Go pray for me. That's, that's great. He's so great. When, when, we, when the shift ends, we'll, go, we'll pray together. I was like, pray together? Yeah, Lenny and, and you and I, we'll pray together. I'm like, well, I'm a college student. I'm cool. Yeah, all right. It's <clears throat> shift ended, 7 o'clock in the morning. We're walking out the factory. I'm like, I didn't want to pray in a factory. Every day I'd drive into the parking lot past this, this actually a beautiful park. It's called Cooley Gardens. You can still go there in Lansing, Michigan. And uh, I'd never been in the park. I'd just driven by it. And so we're walking out. And I said, guys, if we're going to pray, let's walk over to that park, and we'll pray in the park. And I was like, that's great. And as he's walking, he shares this Bible verse. 
from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, the word of God is living and powerful uh, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it uh, pierces to the division of heart and soul, of bone and marrow, and no one can hide from whom we have to give an account. What Jaime didn't know is that earlier, before I went to work that day, I had actually gotten up, I was getting ready for work, and I, I either went into a trance or fell asleep and had a dream, whatever you want to call it. I was unconscious, and I had a vision of a king appearing to me, and his brightness was so intense, I couldn't make out his facial features. All I could see was this, like these bright lights shining at me, but there was a crown, and in front of him was this huge two-edged sword. And, this, and he was approaching me, and, and, and to the side of him and behind him were these pillars covered with ivy. And in my dream vision, I was terrified, and I got down on one knee, and I said, I'm not here to conquer, I'm here to serve, which I still think sounds really corny. <laughs> It's hard to get. It's harder to get up when you're old. Okay. <laughs> as soon as I said that in the dream and vision, I was awake, lying on my bed in the hotel that I was in, and I was shaking. I was covered with sweat, and I was like, "Whoa!" You know, I knew I had a spiritual experience, but I had no idea what it meant. Jaime didn't know I had had that spiritual experience, but when he read that verse, I was like, "Oh, this is really getting weird now." I'm praying with some people I don't know. And he just read that. How did he know? And then we were walking across the parking lot, and we walked into the garden into the front, and there was this gazebo uh, porch-type structure with pillars covered with ivy. And at that moment, I felt like a brick hit me in the chest because that was the spot where I had the vision the night before. And I knew it. I was there. I'm like, this is really getting weird. And Lenny and I walked in, sat down cross-legged on the grass, and Jaime walked in last, and he said, no. He said, when you come before God, you need to kneel. And he knelt in the exact same way that I knelt in my vision. And, and seeing those three confirmations, I literally began to shake, and I just rolled forward my face to the ground, and, and, and Jaime, having discernment, realized something was going on and had the wisdom to lead me in a salvation prayer. And that, that, that's when I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And I've served him every day ever since. And I am so grateful for Jaime that he was willing to talk to me, a young smart aleck, know-it-all college kid, and share the gospel with me. Let me tell you another story. This is a story about Jesus. And we find this story in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. All right, so, so, so Jesus, is the Bible is showing us what ministry looked like. This is how Jesus did ministry, and it should become a pattern for how we do ministry, and it's, it's incredibly simple. It says, one day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they, were, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, and he said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So this is the first time in Scripture where we see Jesus 
inviting someone into a relationship with him. This is the first time that we see how Jesus did what we call evangelism. And it's interesting that he actually doesn't start with a whole bunch of information or explaining a bunch of facts or, or, or telling them that they have to recite a prayer. What's interesting is everything that's not in this example that we've added into, thinking that that's how we need to do it. But when we look at how Jesus did it, he just met two guys. And like Jaime, who met me at work, Jesus went to where these guys were working. And he said, hey, guys, come this way. Follow me. And something about Jesus made them go, let's follow him. And then he spoke their language. They were fishermen. And so he used words they'd understand. He said, come follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for men. And they were probably like, what's he talking about, fishing for men? You know, what, what does that mean? What, does that, what, what do you mean by that? All right. Jesus called them into relationship. He went out to invite them in. And it reminds me of another story that Jesus told when he was explaining the, his kingdom to uh, the crowds later in his ministry. You know, there's all the parables that talk about this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it means to live under Jesus' authority and to live a Christ-like life. And he tells the story of a great banquet. This person wanted to put on a feast and, and he wanted to feed a bunch of people and have a party. Parties are fun, right? We like to have parties. And so he sent out his servants. This is in Luke chapter 14, verse 23. says, the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in so that my house may be full. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is like. I'm a master, I want to throw a feast, and I want a full house. Jesus wants his house to be full. And this is, a, this is the strategy. It's really complicated. Go out, okay, get people and compel them to come in. Go out to come in so my house can be filled. And then we see this in nature. God actually created uh, the world, the universe, everything with patterns that repeat, and it's, it's to teach us lessons. And so you, you, you guys live by an ocean, right? <laughs> A big lake. I live by the big lakes, okay? You live by the ocean. <laughs> um, actually, the Lake Michigan has tides, but uh, not like your tides. And tides come in, tides go out. Waves come in, waves go out, right? This in and out. Sun goes up, sun goes down. The cycles of life. We, we breathe in, everybody breathe in slowly, deeply through your nose. And then exhale through your mouth slowly. Do it again. Isn't that great? Don't you feel better? Actually, if you do that like four or five times, you can lower your blood pressure by about 15 points. Uh, it releases endorphins in your brain. That Those are feel-good chemicals just by breathing in, breathing out. What happens if you stop that process? You fall over. <laughs> yeah, and asthma, if I remember correctly, is the inability to exhale. 
not the inhale. They breathe in, but then they can't breathe out. Okay, and you can die from that. All right. And so exhaling is just as important as inhaling. We need to go out in order to bring people in so that we can go out so that we can bring people in. Listen, we want to be filled, but there's a point where we need to be poured out so that we can be filled. But it's not just about getting filled and getting filled and being like that character in that movie, The Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory, you know? <laughs> in and out. This is the principle of the kingdom of God. Kingdom living, being a good neighbor, is about going out to bring people in. And Jesus invited them into his life. Jaime uh, led me to the Lord. But he just didn't, you know, preach the gospel, have me get saved and just go. He was like, okay, I'll meet you tonight before work. And then, and then tomorrow's Saturday, we have a prayer meeting. And then he picked me up to, and brought me to church. He didn't invite me to church. He brought me to church. There's a difference. It's like don't just invite someone to church. Bring them to church and say, I'll take you out to eat afterwards. You know, this is how it works. Because you're inviting them into your, their, your life. And you're willing to go out into their life if they open their life to you. That's the principle that's in learning how to practice that in our lives. Jesus called his disciples. This is, the, this is how he did evangelism. He said, follow me. Okay? So when Jesus said, follow me, what did that mean? And, and he says it to you. Follow me. Christ says, follow me. So if Jesus is a leader calling other people to follow him, and we are to follow that example, that means we are called to be leaders that call other people to follow us as we follow Jesus. And so if you think you are a disciple, because we want to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus called him to follow us, we're following Jesus, but if we look back and there's like, there's nobody following us, what are we doing? Are you accurately following Jesus if you're not leading someone else, if you're not inviting someone else? If a disciple is defined by someone who is following Jesus' example of calling other people into a relationship of, uh, of being a Christian, and we're not doing that, are we even a disciple? This is not complicated, but it's challenging. Because following Jesus is not just following Jesus for your own sake. Following Jesus is living Christ-like, which is inviting other people to follow you. And Paul says the same thing. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So following Christ's example is inviting other people into being Christ-like, into the life of Christ. And, and you need to ask yourself, who am I leading? And it's different for different people in different stages of life. If you're a young mom or a single parent and you're raising a couple of kids, you're devoting so much time. You're just so into their lives. Lead them. And that's 
great. That's not just okay. That's, a, that's a, your most fruitful mission field is to lead them into a life of following Christ. And there'll be opportunities where you meet other uh, parents of young kids that you can call them into and, and demonstrate what it means to raise kids in a Christ-like way. Uh, but if you're a factory worker, maybe it just means talking to the person on the line with you. Or if you're, uh, you know, in a retail store, that means talking to the other clerks. You need, to, you need to realize that following Jesus means leading other people into Christ-likeness. And that's what it means to be a, a, a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus did this. So as soon as he called Peter and Andrew to follow him, and they followed him, Immediately after, he came around across another couple of guys called James and John. And he said, follow me. And so James and John followed him, and they thought Peter and Andrew were the experts. <laughs> but Peter and Andrew had just started following him. All right? And then now James and John are following. Jesus wanted Peter and Andrew to know this is how it works. As soon as you come along, we're going to invite someone else to come along. Jesus didn't wait 10 or 15 years before he told his disciples to bring other disciples. It was immediately. It was immediately because he wanted them to know that this is what it means to be a Christ follower. And Jesus began discipling immediately. He didn't make Peter and Andrew and James and John recite a prayer or even confess faith. At this point, were those disciples even Christians? And we, we get evangelism. We need to convince people to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then we start discipling them. All right? And then we start teaching them the facts about Jesus. But Jesus did it the other way. He invited people into a lifestyle. And as they lived out that lifestyle, they, they saw what it meant to be like Christ. And it took time for them to get to the place where they finally, at one point, Jesus said, who do you think I am? This is well into his ministry. And Peter said, I think you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, Peter, you got it. You nailed it. All right? That didn't come first. That came after. And so you disciple unto salvation. And I, I learned this years back, and it just rocked my world because it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, we get them saved first. You just preach gospel, preach gospel, preach gospel, and then you can start discipling. But you know what? If you just start showing people how to live what, the, the way Christ taught us to live, that actually opens them up to say, yeah, there's something to this. And at, at a certain point, they'll realize they're not a believer, okay? You know, disciple them until they realize they need to get saved. And then, yeah, they need to make confession. They need to make that decision where they commit their life uh, to following Jesus and that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's important to understand here is that following Christ is not just this transaction. And American Christianity has been too, become too transactional, 
right? And so this is how our whole system works in America, especially, but most of the world. If you want something, you go in and give money, and you purchase something, and then you walk out, and it's a done deal. Now, this is now mine. I gave you X amount. I get this. It's a done deal. I now own this. But salvation is not like that. It's not a transaction. You don't come in, and you recite these words, and then you get saved, and now it's a done deal. That's not, that's not what Jesus demonstrated with Peter and Andrew and James and John and his whole life. He invited people into a relationship, and that relationship was salvation. All right? and, and then they were taught to invite people into a relationship, that through relationship they would get to know the person of Jesus, get to know the person of the Father, and come into a relationship with God, and that their lives would be transformed as they followed Christ. And, and that's what we're called to. That's what you're called to. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so let's just jump fast forward from that first example. So this is Jesus' beginning of his ministry, which was all about making disciples, calling people to follow him, and teaching them to call people to follow them as they went forward in their walk with Christ to the end of Jesus' ministry. And that's found in Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay. Yeah, it's a great passage. It's a great commission. And this is, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story, this is the very end. So Jesus had lived his life. He'd done all the great teachings, Sermon on the Mount. He'd done all the healings, raised people from the dead. Uh, um, and then he was uh, you know, uh, uh, arrested and, and charged with heresy because he claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, but it was, it was a, fa- a false arrest because he actually was God. He was the Messiah. You know, and they, they convicted him, and the punishment was death. And so they, they tortured him, and then they nailed him to the cross, and they crucified him. And he was buried. Uh-huh. But three days later, on the third day, he rose again. And then he appeared to uh, many, at one point, 500, a, a crowd of 500. And all this had happened, and this is the last scene. This is right before he ascended into heaven, uh, and he called his disciples to meet him on this mountain uh, so, so that they could hear his final departing words. And these were the words he said. And I love that it says that when they saw him on the mountain, they worshiped. But then there's three words in here that they should really edit out of the Bible. I mean, like, how did this get in? But some doubted. Like, well, this is the climax of the story. These are his disciples. This is it. And some of them were doubting. I mean, that's not, to me, if you're writing a convincing narrative about the king of the universe, you wouldn't put that some of his closest followers still had doubts. At the end, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I love that this is in there. 
Because to me, this validates Scripture. It validates the story. Because this is not a contrived myth to convince you of something that might be true. This really happened. And the reality is some of those people even who saw all the things and heard his teachings and saw him heal people and then saw him crucified and then saw him after the dead were standing on that mountain and going, I don't know if I can believe this. And that's just real. I've seen miracles. I've got, I saw that I got saved by a miracle, you know. I've seen healings, all kinds of stuff. But you know what? I sometimes still struggle with doubt. And it doesn't say what the doubt is. It doesn't say what was being doubted. Maybe they were like, is this an hallucination? Can this really be real? Maybe it was like, I want to believe this, but I don't know. Is it actually possible? They saw the great. They saw the the the, the triumphant entry with the whole city yelling, "Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed be the Son of David!" You know, this that was only a few weeks before, and a few days after that crowd was yelling, "Hosanna, Hosanna!" They were yelling, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And they were like, "Is Jesus setting us up again? <laughs> you know, who's going to get crucified next?" You know. Or maybe they were doubting themselves. They were like, man, I don't know if I can handle this. Because Jesus was calling them to a lifestyle, wasn't he? And that lifestyle for Jesus included death and the cross. You know? And maybe they were saying, I don't know if I'm good enough. I'm not, maybe I'm not up to it. What I love even more about this is after mentioning the doubts, it doesn't even deal with the doubts. Jesus doesn't stop and say, well, why do you have doubts? He doesn't even address it. It doesn't change who Jesus is, and it doesn't change what Jesus is intended to do. Listen, the presence of doubt does not hinder the power of God. Amen. Come on. Doubt in the disciples did not prevent Jesus from giving them the Great Commission. And you know what that tells me? That when I have doubt, that doesn't prevent God from calling me to great things. It just doesn't. He acknowledges it, and he still said, this is what you're called to do. And it didn't prevent the people who heard it. It didn't prevent those disciples from changing the world. And there's evidence of that. And that evidence is you sitting in this room, <laughs> all right? Because those people, even though there was doubt in, the, in them, they went out and preached the gospel. And we're a result, every, every Christian on planet Earth. And you know what? This great commission is working. I've actually, uh, uh, I know a man who works for a university, and he knows people that their whole life is, is a missiology, is a study of the church, study of church growth. And the church in the world is growing faster than it's ever grown in recorded history. Their best estimate is that 178,000 people a day become Christian. Hallelujah. 178,000 people became Christian yesterday. 178,000 people, give or take a 1,000, are going to become a Christian today. 178,000 people are going to become a Christian tomorrow. Think of it. This is like Boca 
Del Rey and Boynton Beach all put together. Boom. The only thing is that we don't see, like, it all happen at once in one place because it's spread out. It's mostly in Asia and in Africa. But it's happening. Doubt didn't, does not hinder the effectiveness of the Great Commission. But you need to choose whether you're going to respond to the doubt or whether you're going to uh, respond to the call and the commission to uh, live in obedience. Because if you focus on that doubt, you can, uh, you can get stuck in it. It becomes like, it becomes like you know, a tar pit. Acknowledge it and move on and realize Jesus is calling you. And then he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And that authority is because Jesus took that beating. Jesus was nailed to the cross. And Jesus bore the pain, the penalty, and the guilt, and the shame of the sin of every man, woman, and child, including you. He took that upon him, upon him physically and in his spirit. And he bore that because you could not bear it. And to follow Jesus first means that you accept, doesn't mean you understand, but you accept that his death on that cross means that you, uh, that you can be freed from your sin, but then you also can receive his righteousness. And that you can live free from sin, from guilt, from shame. And more importantly, you can live free from the power of sin. And you can walk in the authority that Jesus claimed he had based on the fact that he was not still in the grave. The grave could not hold him. Death had no power over him. Sin had no power over him. And then he stepped up in front of his disciples and said, okay, guys, now I give this authority to you. Sin no longer has authority over you. Death no longer has power over you. You can live free. How? By following Jesus by accepting this to be true. And if you're here and you have not made that confession of faith, don't let your doubt keep you from confessing. Because listen, you don't have to understand it. You have to believe it. You will never understand it. Because it doesn't make any sense. Okay? A dead person raises from the ground. You know? I mean, like, there's a portion where you just go, can this be real? It is real! And it's changed my life, and it's changed billions of lives. And so respond to it with faith by believing it and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. That's your entrance. And then Jesus said, based on that authority that can change your life, there's four action steps. All right? These are four things that you need to do once you come into that relationship, once you receive the authority of Christ's resurrection to transform your life, then the first thing you need to do is go. Just like Jesus, he went out. Go make disciples. Now, what, do you, what does that mean? It's a big word, G-O. <laughs> you know what it means? It means do something. Does it mean go to Africa? Maybe. But you know what? It means maybe going, going across the street and talking to your neighbor. You know, it's some, that's a lot harder than go into a foreign country because you're not going to have to see them every day. But you need to go. Go invite your neighbor over to your house for a barbecue. 
Go invite a coworker out to eat and get to know them and invite them into your life like Jesus invited the disciples into his life, like Jaime invited me into his life. Right? Go. Second thing is make disciples. And in the Greek, that's one word. Because to be a disciple means to make a disciple. Go disciple. Go disciple. You know, Jaime never went into ministry. He, he, he always was just a laborer. But every church that I plant and every sermon I preach and every person that gets saved as a result of my, my ministry, Jaime gets part of the credit. And I am so grateful. Jaime did not know that I was going to turn out to be a preacher. He didn't care. He loved Jesus and shared the gospel. And I'm telling you, this is what you're called to do, is to go and make disciples. Disciple. And it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then that just means just pouring out the Father, pouring out the Holy Spirit, pouring out the love of Jesus. Help them see. And yeah, it does mean actually baptizing. That's part of the process. But it means immersing people into Father, into Jesus, into Holy Spirit. And then finally, teaching them. Teaching them to be uh, all that I taught you to be, Jesus said. My challenge to you is, is be the Jaime. Uh, what Jaime was to me. 40 years ago, choose to do that to someone in your life. You know, first accept Jesus' call personally and then realize immediately that means find someone else and say, come with me. Uh, be Jesus. You're the body of Christ in the world. We are the hands, we're the mouth, we're the feet of Jesus. And invite someone in to relationship so that they may be the next person to reach a hundred, a thousand, who knows. Pastor Carl, would you come up? Amen. Such a good word. Amen. Such a good word. Amen. If you would just stand with me, please, nobody moving around. I, I want to I respond to that message right now. I want to give you an opportunity at this very moment. If you've never just prayed and said, hey, I'm ready to be a disciple. I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, you're probably not here by accident not here by accident. And what we're saying is, hey, maybe it's time to just start following Jesus. And if I could just, everybody, just, if you would just close your eyes and bow your head, we're just going to give people an opportunity right now. You're like, hmm, I think, and this is between you and God. This isn't, this isn't between you and me. This is between you and God. And, and God will help with the next step. And if you would say, you know what, I just think, yeah, it's time. I'm ready to be a follower. I want to pray for you. And if you just put your hand up and down real quick, I'm not going to call you out anywhere. Yeah, I see you. You can put it down. Anyone else you want to just put? Yeah, anyone else? Yeah, put it down. I see you. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else on the left or the right? You're just saying today? Yeah, I just want to pray with you, Pastor, and just uh, I just want to be a follower. Excellent. Uh, one other thing I want to pray for. If you heard yourself in that message and you're like, I'm ready to be a disciple, meaning I'm ready, I'm ready to bring people on the journey. I could be doing that a little bit better. Pastor, would you pray for me? And I just need to be doing that a little bit better. Put your hand up and down all over the room. Amen. Amen. I just want to pray for all of us together as the ministry team comes forward. Uh, I just want to pray. And hey, can we all do this? Can we all just kind of recommit ourselves together 
to follow Jesus and however he wants to lead us. Uh, for some of us, uh, we did the first prayer and we're going to ask him to just begin leading us. We're going to become followers of his. And for all of us, it means we're just going to be disciples in a way that we are following him so that other people can follow uh, so we're just going to say a prayer together, amen, and we're basically going to ask Jesus to come and be our leader, and then we'll surrender our life to him, and uh, we'll follow, all right? You can look at me, and let's all just pray this together, amen? Just say, Jesus, I am ready to follow, and I know you're ready to lead. Thank you for dying for me on a cross, for being buried and rising from the dead. I thank you that you're at the right hand of the Father right now. Praying for me. And I say today, I'm a follower. Live in me. Take everything out of my life that blocks me from you. And I'll be a follower the rest of my life. Fill me with your spirit. So I have power to live for you and bring other people on the journey. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Can you give a clap offering to the Lord? Amen. Hey, listen. Listen, before you go, if you prayed that for the first time or you just recommitted your life to God, we gave you a little connection card. If you just fill it out, check off a little box, I became a cross follower today. We're just going to mail you some information or you can talk to us in the lobby. We have our prayer team here at the front who would love to pray for you, including if you decide, hey, I just want God to be with me as I bring people on this journey. If you just feel like I just need more of the empowerment of Holy Spirit to help me bring people on this journey, uh, we're going to have some people here at the front. Duke, if you can join us as well. Just have some people at the front who just like to lay hands on you and just pray that God's Spirit would empower you to help you touch the world. Hey, go and have an amazing week. Don't get frostbite in this Florida winter. Hug some people, make some friends, invite somebody to lunch with you. It's been such a great day. Thanks for coming. God bless you. We'll see you next week.